Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Has uh, has Yosemite banned plastic straws? You, you know, I don't know if they banned plastic straws, but I do know at the Starbucks there, they had paper straws. You might be surprised to learn there are a lot of similarities that exist between Yosemite and the Bay Area, like arguments over Airbnb, traffic, and fighting off corporate America, like Starbucks. I don't feel that you should drive to Yosemite and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go get a latte. Ezra David Romero hosts the podcast Yosemite Land for Capital Public Radio. And this week, the show drops its final episode of the season. So we decided to talk with Ezra about how Bay Area life is rubbing off on one of our largest backyards. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Did you grow up going to Yosemite? I did a lot. Hello. Do you have an entrance pass? Yeah, I have an annual pass. Ezra David Romero is the host of Yosemite Land from Capital Public Radio. I have all these memories of being there as a kid. We had this silver station wagon, and you know in the back of a station wagon you would sit facing the road. I have these memories of sitting there and watching El Capitan and Half Dome pass by. So I know you've been reporting on Yosemite and you grew up going to Yosemite. How has Yosemite changed since you were a kid? What, what have you noticed? in certain parts of Yosemite, like Yosemite Valley or Tuolumne Meadows. There's so many people there. There's traffic, there's restaurants, there's hotels, and it feels like a city. You know, when I was a kid, I went there and I I felt like I'm in the woods. Like, there's animals and waterfalls and, like, breathtaking views everywhere you look. But now when I go there, it definitely feels very congested and city-like. I will not be visiting here during this summer because I don't want to do the traffic jams. Nicole's mom, Kim Wiseman, drives a shuttle in the park and deals firsthand with traffic every day. If there's no parking, which is most of the time, you get here at 5 in the morning, you'll probably find a spot, but normally it's really full. It's not something you think you would experience up here in the woods, but it's just randomly very much L.A.-style traffic here. I want to say about six to seven months out of the year. There's about four to five million people that visit every year in Yosemite, and those numbers are tracked. And so the numbers have grown exponentially over time. I remember in one of the episodes, there's this image that's kind of burned in my mind, and that's the Starbucks that's in Yosemite. And you ended up going to the Starbucks. Hello, welcome to Starbucks. The first Starbucks in the park is now in the base camp eatery at Yosemite Lodge. There's no logo on the outside, but inside it smells and looks just like a Starbucks. I've had a range of emotions about Starbucks opening in the park, 
but that didn't stop me from ordering. Can I get a vanilla latte? So Starbucks was like this double-edged sword for me. This one part of myself that lives in a city wanted to go to a Starbucks. But on the other side, it did feel weird. People want to go to the natural world and see it. But they also, we're also tourists. You know, we go on vacation and we want to have amenities. It's just this, it's just this weird juxtaposition there. Yeah, yeah. I asked people on my Facebook and Twitter what they thought about Starbucks opening. Robert Pasillas and Christy Page live near Yosemite and visit often. I was shocked to be in Yosemite Valley and to see Starbucks right there, right dead center. Makes me wonder what's next. I don't feel that you should drive to Yosemite and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go get a latte. But others weren't so upset. Here's Fresno residents Paul Souza and Jay Center. Just because Starbucks has a location open on nearly every street corner in America doesn't mean that there will be one on every corner along Northside Drive in Yosemite. Can't say that I wouldn't mind it, but it does take some of the nostalgia and romance from a historical and beautiful park. That's one of the things I want to talk about. Like, isn't, isn't Yosemite, isn't being outdoors in a national park about doing things without these kinds of conveniences? And I would say yes in some ways. It's, you know, national parks are for all people, right? And that's why in the episode, when it comes to traffic and things like that, we talk about equity and why raising prices or having models that would only let certain people in because of price points wouldn't be equitable, right? Yosemite Valley isn't set up in the same way as other state and national parks. Most tourists only encounter about 5% of Yosemite. Francesco Orsi says paying a premium to park closer could be a solution. If you come without the car, you pay less than a guy coming with a car. That would be not any, any form of punishment, but of course the fact that you should have people recognize that there is a cost associated with driving in a, in a park, and it's a social cost. And so it's harder to get people who live, maybe in, say in the Central Valley, into the park. It's a disproportionate about how much it costs for them to get here versus, like, say you're coming from Europe, you're already spending a couple thousand dollars to get here, so $50 more isn't that much. But if the prices go up to, say, to get into Yosemite, $30, $20, it might put out some people who live close who that small increment might be too much for. Hmm. And so having like corporate America or something like Starbucks there, it it sort of follows in the same vein, right? Like people are going into a national park with very different mindsets, right? I'm on the side where I'm like, I want to go up a trail and see nobody. I might want to see a bear. I might want to have a sandwich that I made. But not everyone's that way. You know, some people go there and they want, all they want to do is ride a tram, have a coffee and get out. It's just everyone's perspectives are are so different. And since the national parks are for everyone. I think they're trying to answer that in many ways when it comes to food and coffee and the way you get around. In the past, we've had conversations about parks not being equitable, not almost being for, for white people or wealthy people who could afford to go to, to parks. Is that what you saw in Yosemite? Or is the park trying to make more of an effort? And if so, how to get people to come to the park from from all income levels, from all ethnicities and races? In some ways, no. Like, there already are tons of different kinds of people coming to Yosemite, and that's visible, especially in the summer months. But at the same time, there are programs that are actively trying to get 
more people of color, people who are of maybe a lower economic status into the parks. A few years ago, they began focusing on recruiting guides from a variety of sexual orientations and of as many ethnicities as possible. Quap is part Filipino, and the kids on this trip are a mix of Asian, black, Latino, and white kids. Students of color and of different identities feel more comfortable when they have an educator that looks like them, and it's not what they might stereotypically think an environmental science teacher is going to look like. So they come here and they say, wow, you know, this guy looks like me, this girl looks like me, maybe I could do that job. Rather than thinking, oh, this job is for a certain sect of people in the world. So I know that you've been asking people to send you questions that they have about Yosemite, and you intend on answering some of those questions in your final episode, which drops this week. Can you give us a preview of some of those questions? You know, most of the questions were about traffic, mostly about ideas and remedies for traffic, parking, and congestion. So just just getting into the park, basically. Yeah, you know, I think it's something that we all deal with, right? Because if we want to visit Yosemite, we have to get there. Yeah, I mean, you're having millions of people visit Yosemite every year. There's no quick remedy for all this traffic coming in, but they say it's just going to take a lot of ideas altogether. And the park is designed in a way around cars, right? National parks... When you think of a national park, you think of going there in your car, packing your... I I think about packing my little Prius with all my camping gear and going and not really having to, like, put it all in a backpack and take a bus in. So it's sort of a change in mentality about national parks altogether that has to change. Ezra David Romero is the host of Yosemite Land from Capital Public Radio. The interviews and sound that you heard in this episode is from his podcast, which you can find wherever you get your shows or at capradio.org slash Yosemite Land. And there's also this news that he says I can pass along. This week, our friends in Sacramento have decided they want to do another season of the podcast, except they're going to choose a different park. And one idea is Lake Tahoe. So if you're interested, let them know about it. I'm Devin Kadayama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you Wednesday. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.